Hi there, my name is Adam Waters, and I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Bible Church in Elmhurst, Illinois. I'm just so glad that you made the decision to take us along with you this week on life's journey. Here at Grace Bible Church, we are a family of faith who seeks forgiveness, healing, and hope in Jesus Christ. Now, we might all come from different backgrounds, but each of us recognize that the tremendous needs in our lives point us to one place, to God, for His answers, His provision, and mostly, for His grace. I hope the following program gives you a new perspective on who God is, who you are, and how you too might find forgiveness, healing, and hope in our Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening. first got married, we lived in a 930-square-foot condo, and it was Lane and me and eventually Calvin and all of our stuff, and we had a storage unit that was attached to the condo that we owned that was 5 feet by 10 feet, so 50 square feet. So we would always tell ourselves we would get a dog when we got a house, we'd have some place to put our stuff when we get a house, we would be able to keep certain items that we otherwise wouldn't be able to keep if we had a house. So we get a house, and now I have a garage. And my storage area went from 50 square feet to like 1,200 square feet. And this is what I realized. I've been telling myself, when I get a bigger house, I'll be able to put the stuff that's now in my garage in my new garage, okay? It's like we're animals that live within a tank, like a fish tank. There's certain fish you put in the tank, they're only going to get as big as the tank. You make a bigger tank, the fish is going to get bigger. Our stuff and our lives are multiplying. We're like often hoarders in our life. When we look at some of the areas, at least in my life, I look at my attic, I look at my garage, all my overflow. I don't know how to deal with it right now, put it in the garage. I have something I might use in the next five years. Don't want to get rid of that, put it in the garage. Until pretty soon you walk in the garage and I get an anxiety attack just looking at my garage. The truth is, is that our hearts can be like the garage of our lives. Our hearts can be the place that just continue to hold on and get cluttered more and more. In fact, there's an arrhythmia called atrial flutter. I entitled this message atrial clutter for all of my uh, healthcare providers out there. After I titled it, I thought, no one's going to get it. I'm going to have to explain it before I tell them the title. But our hearts become a place that that get piled up with stuff. There's stuff in there we don't want to deal with at the moment. We're in a situation that comes out, it causes us some pain. Let's stuff it back down in there. We'll deal with it later. We'll talk about it later. We'll focus on it later. But God, in this passage today, is telling us that he wants to strengthen us in our inner man so that we can live, so that we can fulfill our calling as God's child with an uncluttered heart having the ability to completely be full of who he is. Understanding the importance of doing our part in cleaning out the clutter of our hearts is essential if we desire to live with greater intimacy with God, if we want to enjoy more of him without the guilt and the shame and the lies that we believe are about ourselves and about the world around us. So if you'll turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21 today. This is the last half, last little bit of the first half of the book 
of Ephesians. As I said at the beginning of our series, Ephesians is broken down generally in two places, right down the center between chapters three and four. The first three chapters focus a lot on what's going on behind the scenes. What is the reality of what God has done in Christ in us? How, do, how, how are we viewed by God himself? The second half of the book is listed and explains what are the implications then of those truths. And so we're just finishing up the first half. And so there are three parts to this text. Paul gives an invocation, and then he goes on to make a prayer with three requests, and then finally a doxology. So first, an invocation. This is what he says. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. For this reason, this is a very common occurrence in the book of Ephesians. Paul again and again says things like, for this reason, therefore, as a result, consequently, this is another example of that. And so when he says something like this, you have to go back and say, well, what is the reason? So if you look back at the beginning of chapter three, he discusses, he says it again, for this reason. Well, what do we go? We have to go back even a little bit more. What Paul is saying Everything he has set up to this point, God's salvation of them by grace through faith. God's giving them an inheritance through Jesus Christ. God walking with them and pulling them out of their exile or bringing them close through the blood of Jesus. Because of all of that, Paul is giving thanks. He bows his knees before the Father in a posture of humility. Now, as we read the scripture, this seems like a very common occurrence for us. I mean, in America, especially in the West, at least, the idea of being on our knees in prayer is something that's a very common occurrence. But this is not so common. When you read the Old Testament and you, you read how the Jews prayed, they didn't bow at their knees. There wasn't this idea of going down. This was something significant that when people would read this, they would say, wow, Paul is demonstrating something. Something of his hum humble heart. Not only that, his worshipful attitude. Because God has done all of this behind the scenes, I bow in worship and in humility and adoration to the God who did this in your life and in mine. And he addresses it to the Father. When you read the Old Testament again and again, we see that it's God is referred to as God. God is referred to as creator. God is referred to as Yahweh, Elohim, Adonai, El Shaddai. But very, very rarely, Father. Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father, the one that every tribe, nation, and tongue has derived their life from. Paul is speaking in the book of Ephesians about Gentiles and Jews coming together. The Jews saying the Gentiles are different. Paul's saying, no. We're all called by the same Father, our Creator. He makes three requests. First one, verse 16. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you, interesting, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Now, it's not really a typical prayer for us, is it? When we talk about praying for others, we talk about resources. 
We talk about outcomes. We say, Lord, give them everything they need. Lord, help them find a job. Lord, heal them from their sickness. Lord, help them lead their family. Lord, And all of these are important prayers, but in this prayer, Paul drives it literally the heart of the issue. He prays for strength in his readers that they would be strengthened from the inside out. A lot of what we pray about has to do with externals. Lord, give them these things instead of, Lord, move in them that they may become this type of person. As we look at this prayer, there's three principles of this strength that Paul is praying for. The first, part, uh, first aspect is this strength is granted by God. Again, in the book of Ephesians, here we see that grace is the key word. Everything that God has done for us from our salvation to our continued walk in him, to our eyes being opened and enlightened to the truth, to the fact that we've been given this privilege to follow the Father of glory because of what Christ has done is granted to us. It's given by grace. Not only that, it is rooted in the Holy Spirit and not in themselves. If you notice, he prays that they'd be strengthened in the power of the Holy Spirit. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we often pray for strength in ourselves. We pray for strength in others. Not so often do we pray that the Holy Spirit work powerfully in their hearts. And finally, it's directed at their inner being their inner being. Lord, change them. This is a difficult prayer sometimes when we're talking to people. I'll interact with others who are going through difficult times in their life and maybe there's a relationship issue or someone in their family is sick or they're struggling with some habitual sin. What I want to pray is, Lord, give them the eyes to see this through your eyes. Lord, use this pain to change them more and more, stage by stage, into the likeness of Christ. Certainly when I'm in my quiet times with the Lord and the Lord puts people on my heart, this is the vein in which I pray. But it's so easy for us, isn't it, to pray in ways that people think they need in that moment. Lord, fix their relationship. Lord, give them this job. Lord, help them with their family. Instead of, Lord, change their heart to be okay if none of it happens. This, in the end, is the secret to the life that we so desperately want. A life of suffering, no doubt. But a life that makes sense, that's been given meaning. Because God is using it to change us. Maybe nothing in our life changes as a result of our prayers except us, and I would call that a successful prayer. (laughs) That they would be strengthened in their inner man. So not only strength, but that they would also experience the love of Christ. Verse 17, that this strength would have a purpose so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, the full dimension of God's love, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. 
The prayer is that Christ would dwell in their hearts, both individually and corporately. This is another way of saying that they would be abiding with Christ, or maybe said a little bit differently, that Christ would be abiding with them. What's this concept of abiding with Christ? I think it's easiest understood, for me at least, is that Christ is not just visiting their heart. Christ lives there. He dwells with them. He abides with them. Consider your own life. I'm sure there are areas, if your heart were a house, that Jesus lives fully in. He has free reign to go in any of these houses, any of these rooms within the house. But we all have that one room. That one room that we want to keep our stuff in. That one room that we guard the door of lest Jesus get too close. That one room that we don't know what to do with something, we throw it in. I once had a friend visit. Uh, It was actually uh, Stephanie. I'll put you on blast. It was funny. Stephanie came to visit. And we were cleaning up our condo. I'm sure you remember. We were cleaning up the condo. Yes, she remembers. We were cleaning up the condo. We're like, oh no, Stephanie's here. So Lane and I are feverishly running around the house, picking stuff up, doing dishes, putting stuff in. And everything was going in our bedroom. And everything just kept piling. It was piling. So pretty soon our bed's full of stuff on top. Everything's going into that room. Stephanie walks in. She goes, hi guys. How are you? Beautiful condo. What's in here? And goes directly into our bedroom. And it was like, we should have just left everything out. Why did we even do it? Thank you, by the way. (laughs) Kept us humble. Lord used you. We do this. We do this. We have a room in our heart where we put all of our junk. And we don't want Jesus anywhere near it. Certainly don't want to share it with other people. And so we keep things tucked. And not only individually, but corporately. We are called to be the temple of God. When we read the passages about being the the temple of the Holy Spirit, okay, it's written in a plural form that talks about the temple is us, is us, you know. I used to be a smoker even after I became a believer. It was really hard for me to quit. It was one of my, it was a lot harder than some of the drugs I stopped. And I kept saying, why is this so difficult? And sometimes the best thing people could tell me they meant well was, what? well, you're a temple of the Holy Spirit, so make sure that you don't do that. And I understand the point, and I understand how it worked and what was being said, but it missed the point that we together as a family are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Paul's prayer is that they would be experiencing the love of Christ together that Christ would be abiding and living in their hearts, that the Spirit would be living in them as a temple of Christ, as a group. For Lord knows they needed it. The struggle between Jew and Gentile was very real. It necessitated a letter from Paul to them. Not only that they would be abiding, but that they would have a deeper appreciation for life's, uh, Christ's love for them. That they would comprehend the love of Christ. Greek word there rarely means comprehend. It can, and some translations use it, certainly the ESV. It's not a wrong translation. But it carries with it another idea. It carries with it as well the idea of attaining something. It's even used in the sense of winning something. What I think that Paul is saying is that he is praying that they would finally get that Christ loves them. 
Because Paul knows if they can only get, if they can only have that light bulb moment of Jesus' love, their problems will pale in comparison. I mean, the Jews and the Gentiles in this church are struggling to get along. What is right? What is wrong? Who should be this? Who should be in charge? What does it take to be a Christian? A lot of theological infighting, a lot of problems. Paul just wants them to know the love of Christ that they would get it, that they would get it. I wonder in our interactions in our day-to-day, whether here at Grace Bible Church, as we talk about important issues, as we preach in small groups, things like that, or in the way we interact with others, how often are we engaged in theological discussion that borders on the point of pointless, that gets settled when we truly grasp the love of Christ? What does this matter? What does this matter? Jesus was on the mountain with James, Peter, and John, and they'd had the transfiguration. They had the moment, the mountaintop experience. And Jesus comes down with the three to walk right into a fight between the Pharisees and the rest of the disciples. Why one of these disciples could not cast out a demon that was in a man's child. You remember the one who would throw himself into the fire again and again? Jesus knows everything, yet he came down. He said, what are you guys talking about? Of course he knew. What are you discussing? The Greek word is, what are you arguing about? Here's a child who is suffering, and they're having a theological debate. Jesus says, bring him to me. Only by prayer. Only by abject and utmost dependence upon God, a recognition of God and who he is and his love, could heal this child. Paul desires that they have this light bulb moment, that they understand the love of Christ, that they be strengthened to really get it. If you look carefully at what he says, he praises something of a paradox for them. He says, on the one hand, he prays that they would understand, that they would finally get to the place where they get the fullness of the love of Christ. Yet on the other hand, it says, it's beyond all knowledge. The truth is, is that when we begin to see Christ's love and and, and to get it, to finally have that light bulb moment, we realize there's more. There's always more. The deeper we go with Christ, the more we realize that he's loving. And then the further we go, more loving yet. Paul is praying that they would be on the road to that idea. I don't know about you, but as I walk with the Lord, I think about my continuing witness of God in my life, the continuing testimony. How is God working in my life? I right now have a far greater knowledge of my sinfulness than the day that I receive the Lord as my Savior. I think it's important for us to know, to recognize that we were saved by grace, we continue to walk by grace. That as we grasp more and more about who we really are, is, in other words, if we really come to terms with what's in our junk drawer, in what's in our storage room, When we begin to deal with those things and we recognize the fact that Christ still loves us, while we were yet sinners, 
Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for me knowing everything that's in my hidden room. Yet he loved me and died on my behalf. Both are true. Prayer for the knowledge of God's love and also a recognition that we can never fully get it because it is infinite. Third part of his prayer, that they would embrace all of God. This is the second part of the final verse. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Praise for strength for them in their inner man, that they would be, have the strength to comprehend the love of Christ, that they would be filled with everything that is God. Paul's prayer for the Ephesians is that they would be full of God and nothing else. Full of God and nothing else. I was going to use a little object lesson here, but I forgot. So I'm just going to tell you about it. This other pastor, better than me, was delivering a sermon. And he had up here a glass canister and it was full of ping pong balls. It was empty, but it was full. He had a pitcher of water. The point that he was driving home is the only way the ping pong balls come out is by filling the thing that is holding them, the canister that is holding them. And then he fills it up and then they all come piling out this and that. Okay, so I just saved myself some work to explain it to you. Okay. When we receive the fullness of God, when we understand who God is more and more each day, when we're willing to take more and more of him, to be filled with him, that other stuff goes out. In other words, it is allowing Jesus access to every room in your heart. The crazy thing is that when Jesus comes in, he's a wonderful house guest. Not only does he move in, he keeps his area tidy, but he'll help you clean your stuff out as well. I don't know how many times I've had friends come over. We have this one friend who he, he just won't come over and just be a guest. He'll come over and it's almost he walks from the front door to the dishes. It's like, dude, what are you trying to tell me here? It's like, well, I can at least fill your dishwasher, this and that. Living with Jesus is like that. That Jesus enters into our heart and he will help you clean. We do not have to have everything squared away before he comes. He wants to help. Paul is praying that Jesus would be wholly theirs and that they would be holy unto him. To embrace all of who he is. To be willing to believe what God is saying about himself. To embrace everything that God has for you. All of God's will. There are areas of your life that you don't want God to touch. There are things that God is asking you that you don't want to do. Paul's prayer is that you would let God do it. And that you would embrace every single promise of God. When we look at God's word and we see that he has made, because God's word is sure and true and cannot be wrong, when he's made a declaration about who we are, about the promise that we have and what we can look forward to in this life, when we embrace those, it's a game changer. It's a game changer. Instead of living with a a half glass, half empty mentality, we realize all of the blessings that we truly have in Christ. And Paul finally finishes this text with the doxology. The word doxos in Greek means glory. Okay? 
This is a, a word of glory, a word of praise, a doxology. Verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Paul is saying, what you're asking is too little. Paul is saying, our God is capable. Your prayers are puny. And he prays that God would manifest his glory by means of the church. That when people would see us, they would see God. They would see the glory of God as resonating through his people. Unfortunately, the church struggles with that. Church struggles with that. Why? Because we're sinners. Which then when we rely on God's grace, gives glory to God again. So we rely on God's grace. So what does this mean? What does this text mean for us? How do we work this into our heart? Well, what are some takeaways? First of all, I think this text makes clear that we need to seek our strength in the Spirit. Seek our strength in the Spirit. Because we will seek strength in other places, won't we? We'll say things, I'll be okay when this occurs. So some circumstance, we look to that. We might say when, when things get harder, or when things get harder, do we tend to pray harder or do we tend to work harder? Ask yourself maybe, what are you terrified of losing? It's these things that we idolize. It's these things that we're trusting. And we're looking for power there. There's dangers in that. God talks about it quite a bit. The dangers of seeking your strength apart from the Spirit within you. First, I think it demonstrates an unwillingness to believe that God can defend or save you. It's a lack of faith. Even though God is very clear about his ability, <laughs> he can know everything, he can do anything, he loves you infinitely, yet despite all that, I can't trust him. So I'm going to trust in this, something else. Not only that, James tells us that we usually use our strength, our prayers, things that we're trying to get, to attain things which ultimately are not ideal with us, for, for us even when we cannot see it. More stuff. God warns us against it again and again in the Scripture. And there are consequences for this disobedience when we do it. In the book of Isaiah, the Assyrians were coming to uh, attack the northern kingdom of Israel, and, and Israel was freaking out, obviously, and so they don't want to just pray to the Lord, even though Isaiah, the prophet, is telling them, go to the Lord. Go to the Lord. Trust in the Lord. The Lord has got this. Instead, they turn to Egypt and others and make alliances with stronger powers, trusting in those powers, which in the end were facile, unable to save when things in our life are really hard and we're seeking strength, when things feel out of control and I don't know what it is I'm supposed to do, how I'm going to accomplish this task that God's calling, this circumstance that I'm in, what am I going to do to address that circumstance? Where are we turning? Should be turning to the Lord. The Lord's preaching to me as I preach this. Preaching to me as I preach this. Lane and I had a medical bill that we didn't want to pay. Got to pay it. So we paid it. And watched everything we'd saved. Now gone. What's my response? Thank you, Lord, for 
allowing me to save the money so that I could pay this bill when it happened. Wrong, that's not what I said. Lord, you know how hard I work to make this money be a protective nest egg for us. Maybe I should find another job, a second job, not another, a second, (laughs) so I can pay this thing. I know I'm not alone in this. When Israel went into the promised land, God said, when you get there, everything's going to be set up for you. You're going to have houses you didn't build, vineyards you didn't plant. Things are going to be good. If you trust me, I'm your strength. I'm your salvation. Don't think you did it. Do not think you did it. Israel goes in, they thought they did it. And began the problems. When we seek our strength outside of the Lord, there are consequences because it is delusional to believe that we can insulate ourselves from the future or from danger or from anything. Because ultimately, it has to be in the Lord. So where are you seeking your strength? Where are you seeking your strength? What do you need to let go of? What are you maintaining in your life? I have to do this. I have to do this. Because if I let go, there'll be implications that I can then give to the Lord. What is it? So that's one. Two, Clean house for Jesus. Maybe clean house with Jesus. Another way of saying it. A principle of scripture that's reiterated again and again is that God is holy and sin cannot dwell together with him. I mean, this is the reason for the gospel. We are sinners and we continue to sin and our sin creates a separation between us and God. And when we get saved, when we trust in Christ, that principle doesn't go away. We're saved eternally. God gives us the answer to our sin and a means going forward through the presence of the Spirit within us. But ultimately, if we continue to walk in sin, our relationship, our father-child relationship is broken. We walk around with shame and guilt and God cannot do what it is that he wants to do within us. Sadly, there are believers in churches that preach that because Jesus loves you just the way you are, it must mean that you don't need to change. They point to scriptures like Jesus ate with tax collectors and engaged with sinners. But it was they who went away changed and not Jesus. And he declared, go and sin no more. I mean, think about your heart. Wouldn't you love to be able to walk with a perfect and abiding love with the Lord and do whatever you want? (laughs) It's a great lie. It's a great lie in this culture. There's no other way around it. We must deal with the sin in our lives. We must address it, not because we're going to lose our acceptance before the Lord, not because we have to earn our way to heaven. No. It's because ultimately, We do not want to be severed from the Lord in our familial relationship with him. God is our father and he wants us close. Imagine having a house, living as a hoarder and having a house guest. That's really what it's like. Our heart is cluttered with stuff, things that we want to hold on to. We don't want to get rid of it. It's some trauma or it's some pet sin or it's something in there. And Jesus is trying to go from the kitchen to the bathroom and he's having to walk like this through piles of stuff. 
And we tell ourselves, because Jesus lives here, I'm okay. But there's more. There's more. This is Paul's prayer. Paul's prayer is, yes, you have the Lord. Yes, he was given to you by grace. Yes, you received him by faith. Now let's clean some things up. Now what? There's more. There's more. If you looked at your life, you looked at your heart in this way, that it's a house for Jesus. Is it an unfit place for Christ to dwell? Is Christ having to go around things? Is there a room you're hiding stuff in? What might it take for once and for all, just say, Lord, let's clean house. Spring cleaning. I'm so jealous of you Elmhurstians. I drive by and I say, oh, spring cleaning. You can put anything out. I'm like, oh, I have so many Elmhurst friends. I could probably get this. I'm just kidding. Don't, I didn't do it. What about it? Spring cleaning. It's time to clean out the clutter of your heart. Today's the day. God's calling you. Get rid of that thing. You don't need it. You're not going to use it again. And if you do, you're going to be sorry. It's not going to give you what it promised to give you. What would it take to do it once and for all? To be rooted and grounded in love for the Lord instead of whim and necessity. My life's bad. Right now I'm in pain. I need Jesus. My life's good. I'm not in pain. I can continue clutter. Jesus is calling you to make room for him. Now, this is not just all you. Don't think that I'm telling you to just go start doing all of this behavior modification and earn your way into the good graces of the Lord. You have the good graces of the Lord. The Lord has given you his spirit. The Lord walks with you in this. And he wants to clean house with you. He wants to know what's in that room. Not like he doesn't already know it's there. we get overwhelmed. We say, it's too cluttered. I'll take care of it on my own. I'll, I'll deal with it when I need to. But as long as that cluttered room exists, you'll be able to focus on Jesus. The whole time you're sitting there trying to be with Jesus, you're thinking, I hope he doesn't go near that door. You getting the metaphor that I'm trying to drive home here? And not only that, you got the adversary whispering, I know what's in that room. You know what's in that room. Finally, go deep with God. Go deep. Don't you want this to mean something? We come to church on Sunday. This is something that I, I struggle with all the time. It's like we come to church on Sunday and we do the church thing. I'm a pastor. I have to do the pastor thing. I have to put on the face. I have to do my best. I have to all of this, this and that. None of it's bad. But don't you want it to mean more? While cleaning house is about out with the old and in with the, this point is about in with the new. Now we've created space for the Lord in our house. We've created, we've gotten rid of that stuff. We've at least opened the door and showed them, hey Lord, I, I really wasn't wanting to tell you this, but could you help me do this? Yep. Yep. God has offered you more than you can imagine. Paul's doxology says it. There's a life out there waiting for you that far exceeds anything you ever thought imaginable or possible. If you asked God, if I said, ask God for whatever you want as good as you can, you would sell yourself short. 
God is capable of doing anything at any time and has the greatest love for you, infinite love for you. Embrace these promises and live in them. God's beckoning you to something deeper and more meaningful than what you have today. I am certain of it. Certain. Be willing to follow him, to be filled with the fullness of God, to give up every aspect of your life, to open those hidden recesses. It's funny about our hearts and about our willingness and desire to hold on to sin. You know? If it weren't tragic, it'd be kind of funny. It's like, all right, Lord, here's the door. Here's the room that I want to clean up. Everything's all cleaned up. Whoa, we worked all day. Jesus and I are sweating, but we still got something in our pocket that we found along the way. And he says, what's in your pocket? (laughs) At that point, it doesn't matter about the room that just got cleaned. It's about what's in your pocket. God wants everything. Give it to him. And then when you pick it back up, give it to him again. And then when you pick it back up, give it to him again. Why do we not want to go deep with God? Often there are traumas and hurts that are too painful for us to bear. Going in that room means I'm going to have to relive some of the stuff that happened. Not only am I going to have to relive it, but going in that room means I'm going to have to actually touch it and lift it. But Jesus is there. God knows your hurts. He feels them right along with you. Scripture says that he has a a bottle with our name on it that holds our tears. And one day we're going to be with the Lord and he's going to pour them out one at a time. Bloop. Oh, I remember this one. Do you remember that one? Yeah, I do remember that one. I was there. Remember that one? That one was really painful, Lord. Why'd that happen? Because I love you and I wanted my glory to shine in you. We underestimate how much God can do in his desire to do it within us and through us, even once and for all dealing with those painful hurts in our heart. There's a real ugly word for what that's called. Idolatry. I mean, we look at it and we'll say, well, I'm struggling with this, or we'll couch it in struggling language. Or we'll say, it's not that bad. It's not that big of a deal, then why not get rid of it? Then that sting in our heart that we feel with the prospect of having to deal with something or get rid of something that we want tells us that, no, we're worshiping it. We're giving it power. When Christ died for that power to be invalidated. Christ doesn't just want this to happen in our hearts in order to change us for the sake of changing us. If you remember in the second chapter, it says that God works within us to change us, to make us who we are, that we might walk the life that he's prepared beforehand. Us opening that door and allowing Jesus in and cleaning house with him is not just to live in a clean house with Jesus. There's even more yet. 
is to go to others and to say, I too was a hoarder. I too had atrial clutter. But I allowed the Lord in and this is what happened. And let me show you how to do it. Paul prays for the Ephesians. We should too by praying for people in our lives in the way he did. Lord, strengthen them in the power of your spirit, in their inner being. Open the eyes of their heart. You could open up the book of Ephesians and say, okay, today I'm going to pray for this person and pray all of the book of Ephesians for them. Paul prays, so should we. Remind people that God is capable and willing to do much more, far more than we think or ask. And the witness to this, the truth of this statement should be evident by people watching us in our lives. We just don't muster it up and and pretend that everything's hunky-dory. This is why we clean house with the Lord, so it's natural. It just happens. When you're afraid to open that door and you're afraid to go in there and deal with it, remember that God is capable He strengthened you with his power, that God will do it with you. You're not alone. And encourage people to go deep with God by setting the example. There are things I get up here and admit to you, I do not want to do it. If you're in a small group with me, you'll hear even a whole lot more. Because I know the importance, and the scripture is clear about the necessity to drive at the root of the matter, the heart of the matter. If we're not, we're just, I use it all the time, we're trying to kill a tree by picking its fruit. No matter how much fruit you pick, you're never going to kill the tree. The fruit is in the root. It's the root we have to strike. So are you feeling weak today? Perhaps the clutter in your heart is piling up and you feel paralyzed and overwhelmed and you don't know where to start. Just open the door. Some of us got it locked. Mine would be a key and a hasp and then another thing and then another key and then it would be like I was living in, never mind. Just open the door. Know that the Spirit is with you and he has given you power and works through you to do the spring cleaning, to clean out these recesses of your life. There's no shame about what's in there. He knows what's in there. You both know what's in there. It's time for it to go. Jesus' grace is sufficient to cover it all. Just ask him for his help. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, with our knees bowed in humility and worship and reverence, Lord, and gratitude for what you have done in our lives. Lord, everything that you have done behind the scenes, how you have saved us from our sin by grace, how you called us close to you by the blood of Jesus. When we were far off, you died for us. And how you made us part of your family. For this, Lord, we we bow before you. We thank you, Lord, for the riches that are in you, that your glory might be shown through us and that you have granted us power to be strengthened through your spirit on the inside, 
Lord, we pray for our insides. We pray for the inner being. We don't want, Lord, just a different life. We don't want just more stuff or less stuff or less problems. Or, Lord, we want to be changed. We want to be different people. Lord, we pray that you would work in our character. We pray, Lord, that we would see life through your eyes, that we'd be willing to open that door and allow you in. We confess, Lord, that the stuff we've been hoarding, the stuff that's in our heart, Lord, we confess it's sin. We confess it's not good. We confess that some of its terrible traumas that have been inflicted upon us that we don't want to give to you for fear. Lord, give us strength that we would give everything to you. We pray, Lord, that we would do this, that you would do this in us, that you would give us the courage that Christ would dwell completely and not just be a visitor in our heart, that Christ would live with us and that we would enjoy his presence and not be ashamed. Lord, we pray that we too would understand the love of Christ in a way that's just so far beyond understanding. I pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord, that they would begin to grasp the riches of your love. I pray, Lord, that you'd give them the willingness through your grace to go deep. Lord, we confess this to you and we admit, Lord, and we confess with all of the saints throughout time around the world that, Lord, you are able to do far more abundantly than what we ask or think. Remind us, Lord, of this as we seek to open these recesses of our heart when we're afraid, when we're stubborn, when we're self-centered and want what we want. Pray, Lord, that your spirit would be working powerfully in us as we do this and that you would get the glory in us and in the church, but perfectly through Jesus Christ, your son, forever and ever we pray this. Amen. Pastor Adam here. Well, I want to thank you for tuning in to Grace Bible Church, and I would love to hear what you thought of today's program or of ways that we can be praying for you and with you. So check us out on social media at GBCL. Also, if you would like to support our ministry, you can give securely at our website at www.gbclm.org. Now remember, God loves you, and so do we.